Well, you know, our church really centers on the Word of God. That's kind of the key in the Bible is to know the Word of God. And, you know, by faith in Jesus Christ, we become children of God. And we should know God's Word. We always talk about it. People say, well, they don't know the Bible. And I say, well, you're a believer, right? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a believer. Why don't you know the Bible? And there's really no answer except that they but the truth is they haven't studied it. I mean, we can all know the Bible. It is. We do have it in English. And so we can study it and know it. When you think about the Bible, it's one book, 66, you know, one book with 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. It all fits together. If you think about the New Testament, the New Testament has three different sections, history, letters, and prophecy. The history part of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, we're looking at some of that now. The letters, of course, Paul's 13 letters, and then John and James and Peter and Jude and, and whoever wrote Hebrews and all of that. So uh, those are, and then the prophecy, of course, is the book of Revelation. And so when, they, when you start seeing it, you say, okay, that's the Bible. How does it fit together? One of the things we did with our, we have elders that meet, our Bible studies ended for the summer, but we have elders that meet on Tuesday nights. And one of the things we did for about two or three weeks in a row is we just started saying, okay, let's talk about the Bible. Okay, one, one book. Uh, you know, how many books, you know, 66, or how many Old Testament, how many New Testament, and then we put the Old Testament together, then we put the New Testament together, and then we, so it was really a lot of fun, and, and what we did is just go over big things that we all should know, and know how the thing fit together, and, and so when you think about that, Paul wrote 13 letters, and yet now, let me just surprise you, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, Luke's writings are longer than Paul's 13 letters. The book of Acts and the book of Luke is longer as far as information and length than all of Paul's letters put together because Luke is given narrative history. I mean, he get, he's got 24 chapters just of the life of Christ and then, of course, the book of Acts, 28 chapters, and there, some of them are long chapters. So if you said who wrote the most, you'd say, well, you know, John wrote five books, but Luke probably wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else. But we're looking at Paul, and Paul wrote 13 letters. We've already seen, okay, let me, let me see how well you remember. How many letters did Paul write on his first missionary journey? One. How many letters did he write on his second missionary journey? Two. How many letters did he write on his third missionary journey? How many letters did he write when he went to Rome and was in prison? Four. See, that, you got it. You're downhill now. Everything else is just, we're way up there on what we know. And on his first missionary journey, he wrote the letter to the Galatia. Actually, he went to Galatia, that region of the world, came back, wrote the letter. Then on his second missionary journey, he wrote First and Second Thessalonians because of some of the issues. We're now on the third missionary journey, and we're going to see what he wrote. And you've got, the handout is like a bunch of big space, and you don't have to write everything down. You don't even have to write anything down. I'm just going to give you some big overviews. But let me, let's, let's look at where we are on the third journey. He starts here at Antioch, and he goes all the way, and he goes to Ephesus, and he's there for a, a while, two years. He's at Ephesus, and he's teaching. He's doing all of these different things, and while he was there, he actually wrote First and Second Corinthians and Romans. He had been to Corinth already, you know, uh, that's, that's northern and southern, southern Greece, northern Greece, Macedonia and Achaia. He had been already there to those places, there's Corinth, and, you know, there's Berea, there's Thessalonica, there's, that's Philippi, Philippians, Thessalonica, you know, Thessalonica, Thessalonians, Ephesians, that's Ephesus is Ephesians, this is the, the Galatian region, so he wrote Galatia, this is Corinth, so he wrote Corinthians, of course, Rome, I mean, so, so it's all, when you start looking at it, you go, wow, all that really fits together, so what we are is we've traveled to right here, and Paul has stopped, and he's been there for a while. 
and he's, and he's going to be teaching, and he's taught for a while. And while he was there, he wrote First and Second Corinthians and Romans. So let's talk for just a little bit. This is just for fun. I won't go into a lot of detail. And, and since I'm not going into a lot of detail, it's not real long. We may go to Grow Group a little early. I know that you went real early last week. Is that right, Adam? <laughs> it's just too much stuff, and it's too fun when you just don't want to end. And that's okay. We might go all the way to, who knows, tell him when. But anyway, so let's talk about the letters. Here is 1 Corinthians, okay? Have you got that memorized? That's 1 Corinthians. So let's talk about it for just a second. You don't have to write all this down. If you want to write a little bit down, you can. But here's the problem. So Paul is at Ephesus, and he hears about the issues. And let's talk about Corinth for just a minute. If you lived in Corinth, to say that somebody was Corinthianized, that was a slang, a slander. You're Corinthianized. That would be saying, you're wicked. You're evil. You're sensual. You're, it would be almost like some people saying, what is Las Vegas like? What is some of these you know, cities like? Well, Corinth was probably one of the worst cities in the world in the sense of all the things. They had a, a temple there which had male and female prostitutes in the temple. And so part of their worship was to go and have sexual relations. In the temple, that was they grew up with some of that, and the things were terrible. And when you you look at the church at Corinth, so Paul goes in there, he leads people to Christ, and they form the church, and they have the house churches and everything. And then he's gone, and he's in Ephesus, and he gets word, and the word is the church is in a disaster. It's a disaster. There are issues everywhere. There's divisions, there's immorality, there's sexual sin, there's lawsuits, there's divorce, there's, there's, there's spiritual, there's a whole, and so it's just thing after thing after thing. So when Paul finds out about this, he decides to write them. Because he does say that I'm going to come back there one of these days. I'm coming through there. His plan was to go to Rome and then on, actually on to Spain, but to go through Rome and then go through Corinth as well. And he said, I'm going to write this letter to you and we're going to talk about different things. And the truth is, when you look at the church at Corinth, probably every problem that you've ever heard about that was in a local church is in this local church. Now remember, they're believers. These are all believers. And when you read the the beginning of the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, he never doubts them. In fact, he says, you are children of God. You come behind in no spiritual gift. You're sanctified by God. And so he, he starts off by saying, you're, you're the, the believers and everything. And then he has to deal with the issues. And so if, if Paul was writing, let's think about this. If Paul was writing to our church, what would be issues? Well, hopefully that we'd say, I, we don't even know any, but you know, hopefully. But look at this. The first one was divisions. I just, there were people, you know what they said? There were some people who say this, I only, I only learned from Paul. And somebody said, well, I only learned from Peter. And somebody else says, well, I only learned from Apollos. And somebody else said, we only learned from Jesus. And they have these divisions going on. And if somebody would say, well, Paul wrote this, say, I don't learn from Paul. And so they got divisions all over the church on who they follow. And so he has to write, and you know what he says? One guy watered, one guy planted, one guy watered, God gives the increase. We're all the same. You know, so you don't have divisions. Then he talked about rewards and, and what, who's going to be rewarded and who's not going to be. We got more of it later. And then there was this issue in the church in which a man was having sex with his stepmother. And Paul wrote, and they were supposed to have dealt with this, and they didn't deal with it at all. Now, in the, in the first century, if you were in a local church and they kicked you out, there wasn't any other place you could go. 
our time, you do something wrong in a local church and they decide to kick you out, you just go to another church. Nobody cares. So what was church discipline in the first century is really hard to carry out nowadays because of what our culture's like and what the fact is that you could leave, let's say you did some really bad things and, and, and then you left and go to another church. They're not going to say, why did you leave Stillwater Bible? Because they just want you to come to their church. I mean, that's just what happens. And so, so this immorality, Paul writes and says, this guy is doing something even unbelievers don't do. And so you need to remove him from the body. Deal with him, and, and, and they did, and they did. But he's writing to them because they, they acted. He actually said, you, you act like it's okay. That's what he said. So then, then they got the lawsuits, and, and, and Christians were suing each other, and they were going before the public courts to do it. Basically, somebody was mad at somebody else, in the, and so they went public. And so basically, two Christians in Corinth were, were publicly showing they can't get along. And, they're, and Paul, he, you know what he says? He says, don't do that. He says, is there not somebody wise in, your, in the body that can help you mediate these issues rather than going before unbelievers to deal with your issues? And, you know, there's some truth to this, that when you have conflict within the body, it's the, there's leaders in the local body that can help you solve conflicts. That's what you're supposed to do. And then, and then they had the sexual sin, and uh, the idea of, of even being with prostitutes. And let me just tell you, they wrote. They wrote to him. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, Now concerning the things about which you wrote, he went on to say it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Here was the question. They're believers. They're living in a culture in which you, you go to a temple to have sex with some prostitute if you want to. And so they asked the question, Could we... How, and it's the question that every believer who's not married has to ask. How far can we go? How far can we go? And they ask him. Because the, Paul says, now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. So they basically ask him, is it okay to touch? Is it okay to do this? And he says, no, no, no. He says, be married. Be married. And, 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 and that's where he gets into that. And so that was one of the issues. And then divorce, good gracious. And he basically says, uh, because at that day and time, women usually in, in uh, now in the Jewish world, women couldn't divorce their husbands. But in the Roman world, you could. And people were divorcing. And he basically says, listen, if you're married to an unbeliever, don't walk away from them. Because who knows, you may lead them to Christ. He said, now, if you're married to an unbeliever and they leave, there's nothing you can do about it. And, and so he talks about divorce. And then this is the one that, that nobody knows what's going on. It's in the chapter where he says about eating meat offered to idols. Now, how many of y'all have had any issue about eating meat offered to idols? You'd say, no, but what it is, it's Christian liberty. It's the idea of be careful. You have the freedom as a believer to do a lot of things, but there may be some other people who think what you do might be wrong. And so around them, don't do those things. Let's just say, let me give you a, a, an example. What if you have two friends and they say they think it's sinful to go to a movie? I'm just making, okay. Well, you're not going to come to them and say, hey, you want to go to a movie? You may say, I know it's okay to go to a movie, but they don't. So I'm not going to go to a movie around them and I'm not going to invite them to go to a movie. That's what they call the idea of Christian liberty. You have a lot of freedom, but don't use your freedom to cause somebody else to mess up. That, that's basically what he talked about there. Then, husband and wife relationships, that's all throughout the whole thing about how to get along with each other. And then his longest two sections, chapters 12, 13, uh, uh, chapters 12, 13, and 14, 
all deal with spiritual gifts. And they were misusing every one of the spiritual gifts. And Paul said, listen, you can't do that. Everybody's got gifts. Everybody belongs together. One body, many part, many parts. None are more important than the others because they were saying, I'm going to just say it honestly, they were saying the gift of tongues is the most important gift there is and we're going to all exercise that gift and if you don't exercise that gift, you're not a believer. And the kids of Corinthians were saying that and they were saying out of all the gifts, that's the most important. Paul comes back and says, really want to talk about the most important gift? It is the gift of what he called prophecy, but it's actually teaching the Bible. That's why Paul says, if I, I would rather speak five words in a language you can understand than 10,000 words in a language you can't understand. So Paul comes back and he helps them with spiritual gifts. And this is why I think it's a great chapter, because that chapter 13 is the love chapter. And he basically says, if you exercise your gifts in love, that's great. If you, it doesn't matter what your gift is. If it's not in love, it's not, it's not worth anything. And this is a great chapter, uh, chapters dealing with every one of us in this room have spiritual gifts. And every one of them are important. Some are out front gifts. Some are not out front gifts. But they're all important. They're all just as valuable. And we're to all exercise our gifts. Then he comes to a part that you might think is so weird. But it's resurrection. Because there were people in Corinth who were believers that were saying that there's not resurrection. And, 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 you know, some people say, well, if you don't believe in resurrection, you're not really a believer. Yes, you are. If you believe in Christ and believe that he gives you eternal life, you're saved. You may be confused on some other things. Well, they were confused. And so Paul has to write 1 Corinthians 15. And he basically says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we got nothing. Resurrection is the key. Jesus died on the cross to pay for sin. You hear me say it all the time. Died on the cross to pay for sin and he rose to do what? Conquer death. That's what it's all about. And so he tells them that Jesus did die and did rise again. In Adam all die, in Christ all be made alive, each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits. And so he spends all of chapter 15 dealing with resurrection. And then the last part is giving, which a lot of people don't understand it, but he talks about and says, when you come together on the first day of the week, give. When do we come together? First day of the week. Okay, let's pass this thing right here. No, I'm just kidding. But the bottom line is that's what they did. And he talked to them about it. He told it had to be planned, it had to be ordered, it had to be given the first fruits, understand how to give. And so he writes, you look at the issues, divisions, rewards, sin, lawsuits, sexual sin, divorce, Christian liberty, relationships, spiritual gifts, resurrection, giving. All of those were issues. And that's why it's a long letter. And it's a complicated letter. We've, I've taught it before. I've taught 1 Corinthians. And, and you know, as you go through it, I, I, in fact, when you start getting to chapter, you know, 12, 12, 13, and 14, well, you can spend a long time on the spiritual gift issues. But it's, a, it's an incredible letter. So he wrote that. And he basically told them, uh, I, I'm coming there one day. I'm, I'm sending this letter to you, and then I'm going to come see you. And then he writes, he gets more word, and they get, they get all puffed up at him. And they say something like this. Well, who did he think? Who does he think he is? Writing us a letter like that. And Paul says, you know who I am? I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I have the authority to do whatever God tells me to do. And those letters are from God. They're not, just, they're not from Paul. Paul didn't just make up that letter. That's the Holy Spirit. You know, Paul says, that it, holy men of, you know, Peter writes and says, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So he has to write, Another letter, and it's a little bit shorter in the sense of what we talk about, but he writes as Paul's authority. And he basically tells them, listen, you, you listen to everybody but me. 
He said, I'm the one that led you to Christ. I'm the one that formed the church. I'm the one that's an apostle of Jesus Christ. I have the authority from God. That's why he starts out his letters saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, or an apostle of Jesus Christ, either way. He says, I'm the authority that God has said. Now, listen, I'm not the authority. I'm not an apostle. Paul was. Paul, if Paul was here, he would say, you better do what I say, because I'm speaking for God. I'm, I'm saying, I, don't, you don't have to do what I say, but you have to do what this says. This is the authority. But Paul was the authority, because until the canon of Scripture was completed, the apostles were the authority. They were the foundation. The foundation of the church is the apostles and prophets, you know, Jesus being the cornerstone. And so, that's, so he writes, and he basically says, I'm the authority. And, you know, he says something that's really funny, because Paul, everything we have about the description of Paul was that he was not a very tall person, that he couldn't see, he was bow-legged, he was bald-headed. It was all that stuff, you know, he, that we read about when we first started the life of Paul. But he writes and says, when I come, I'm bringing a rod, which means he's basically saying, I'm coming to whack you when I get there if you don't straighten yourselves up. That's what he says. And, and he says, shall I come with a rod or shall I come with joy? I mean, what's it going to be like? So he writes, and then one of the favorite parts of the Bible is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where he deals with the judgment seat of Christ and talks about we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded for the things we've done in this body. And he goes into a lot of details. He also went into rewards in chapter in, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So those two go together, and he talks about the judgment seat of Christ. And then here's what's amazing. You remember back in the first letter where the guy was having sex with his stepmother and they kicked him out of the church? Well, guess what? He got his act together. He quit. He wanted to come back to the church. And they said, you can't come back in. You can't be part of the body anymore. And so the word gets to Paul, and he writes and says, I have forgiven him. You forgive him. Let him back in the church. So that's what he writes there. And then, so, and then once again, he says giving. And I love this passage, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, let a man give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. And that's one of the passages. Listen, I just have to say this. I know that every one of you in this room were taught tithing. We had a class, I think it was last fall, and one of it was, well, maybe this spring, on the whole idea of giving. And I asked the class, we had 45 people in there. I said, how many of you were taught you had to give 10%? Every hand went up. You're not to give 10%. You can give more than that. <laughs> but you're not under a law. The law was not 10%. The law was 20% every year and 30% every three years. And that was required giving. And that was not counting free will giving. So a tithe system was to be given for the priest and the tabernacle and the temple. We're not under that. We've never been under that. We give as we purpose in, we heart, purpose in our heart, not grudgingly necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. You give as you purpose. And I always say, if under law you gave 10 and 20%, what well, would you give under grace? You can give all you want to give. give as much. If you said, well, I want to give a tenth, that's fine, as long as you don't think you're required by law to give 10%. You can give whatever you want to give. And so he talks about that in that passage, and he talks about giving to the first fruits, and he talks about how to give, and, you know, it's, just, it's, a, it's a great letter. So you can see, Paul, and, and he actually told them, you may not know this, but he had written them, he actually wrote three letters to them. He wrote a letter before he ever wrote 1 Corinthians. It wasn't script and wasn't part of the Bible. He wrote some letter to him, and they wrote back to him and asked him all these questions, and that's why he wrote 1 Corinthians. He's answering all their questions. And this letter, he's telling them, I'm coming, and you better straighten up. That's, that's what he tells them. 
So that's 2 Corinthians. Now, while he's still there, he writes Romans, which may be one of the key books of the whole Bible. I used to, I used to say if you could only have one book of the Bible, it would probably have to be Romans because it has everything in it. I mean, it's amazing. Look, look what Romans says. In chapters 1, 2, and 3, it says we're all sinners. In chapter 1, he starts off and he talks about Paul an apostle and he's writing to the Romans and he can hardly wait to be there. Although he's never been there, there's a church for him from people that know him. And so he writes and he says, you know, we've all sinned. In fact, he starts off by saying that bad people sin and good people sin and even religious people sin. So we're all sinners and come short of the glory of God. And then in chapters 3 and 4, he actually says that you're saved by faith. It means justified not by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ. We have justified by faith. I mean, he goes through it and he talks about uh, salvation as a gift by faith, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, all all those passages that deal with that kind of thing. But But in 3 and 4, he actually gives salvation, justification by faith. Then in chapter 5, he gives the results of salvation. Having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he talks about that relationship. And then, as Adam knows, Adam has done a study, and his study was basically chapter 6, 7, and 8 of Romans. He's got that study. And I teach it in, in uh, two different other studies myself, and I taught it in his last study that, uh, that we did last spring. Chapter 6 and 7 is our identification in Christ and the battle of the Christian life. If you never have studied Romans 6 and 7, you have to. It's victory in the Christian life, Romans 6 is victory in the Christian life because of our identification with Christ. And then chapter 7 is the battle that goes on inside of every believer. And so it's a powerful book. And I would say this, and that the class that I taught this last spring were 12 biblical truths that every Christian must understand. And this was called The Cross of Christ in the Christian Life. And it's how the death and resurrection of Christ gives us victory in the Christian life. It's found in chapter 6. And seven. So powerful stuff. Chapter eight, security. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Think about it. What's a, what can separate us from the love of Christ? Can anything? Get that, so we're secure. That's what chapter eight is about. And then chapters 19 and 11 in Romans is often so misunderstood because it deals with Israel, past, present, and future. What happened to Israel in the past? What's going on with Israel in the present? What will happen to Israel in the future? And, you know, it's so amazing to how many people in our country, in our world, believe that God is through with Israel, that he's cast them aside, that the church has taken their place, and Israel will never be again. And the Bible teaches just the opposite of that, especially Romans 9, 10, and 11. God has a plan for Israel, and they'll be back, and they will. And then 12 through 16, the Christian life and offering our lives and all that. And I went, went way too long. I was going to just do something real short. So let me, let me do this. So after he wrote those letters, and while he was there, there was this big uproar, and, and the silversmiths wanted to kill Paul, and they had this big uproar. And after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and he exhorted them, and he went to Macedonia. That's where he decided he would go. So let me put this up, and let me show you. So Paul left Ephesus. He went all the way up, went all the way here, and then came all the way back, and he stopped at a place called Troas. You remember Troas was the place that he had that vision to come to Macedonia? And while he was there, he did what a lot of people who like to teach do. He taught for a long time. And, and, and that night, they were in this church, and there was this young guy named Eutychus. He was sitting up in the third story of this building they were all in, and Paul taught all the way to midnight, and the guy fell asleep, fell out the window, and killed him. And so everybody said, oh, no, the guy just fell out the window, and he's dead. And so Paul went down there, and um, 
here's what he said. So Paul went down and fell upon him, and after embracing him, he said, no, 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 don't be troubled. There's life in him. So Paul raised him from the dead, and then he went home. Now, how do you remember this guy's name? His name is Eutychus. And let me tell you, Eutychus too, if you fall out of a window, right? <laughs> so just, just remember that, and you'll always remember this guy's name, and Eutychus too. And, and so then, uh, this is, let me just read something for you. This is chapter 20, verse 13. They, they set sail for Azoas, it's up in here, and then they went to, uh, they, so they left, and they went here, and they went to Mytilene, and then they come all the way down to Miletus, right there, and they stop, and if you notice, Miletus is not very far from Ephesus. He'd spent a long time at Ephesus, but he goes to Miletus, and here's what he does. He stops, and he calls for the elders. That means he calls for the leaders in the church of Ephesus to come meet him in Miletus. Now, he says in the Bible, he says he didn't want to go to Ephesus because if he went to Ephesus, he'd stay there too long and he would miss everything back in Jerusalem. He's trying to get back to Jerusalem. So he says, tell the elders to come see me. I'll meet with them and then I can leave. What did he tell them? What was the information that he gave to them? We'll see it next week. And so it, that's it's true. It's true. And so, so let's, let's talk about this before we go to our classes, uh, to our small groups. Let's be ready to make disciples because this is what Paul did. Every place that he went, uh, it, it was evangelism and training, right? We, we, um, uh, what is the purpose of our church? Make disciples. And it involves two things, evangelism and training. Evangelism is proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ so people can trust in Jesus for eternal life, and the training is discipling them. Have you ever looked at our sign? What does it say? Stillwater Bible Church, proclaiming Christ, training believers. Proclaiming Christ is evangelism. Training believers is the training. That's what we're all about. It's even on our sign. And so to be able to do that, what did Paul do? Paul went from city to city evangelizing, telling people about Jesus Christ. He also went to Corinth and Ephesus, and he taught. Now, he taught in all these cities. He taught in Thessalonica, and he did this. But he spent a long time teaching in Corinth and in Ephesus. That's what, that's what his plan. That's what he decided to do. So if you're going to evangelize, you've got to know the what? The gospel. If you're going to train, you've got to know what? The word of God. So every one of us in this room, you should be very clear on how you present the salvation message to others. And my advice, just take John 3.16 and just use that verse and you can clearly explain to anyone by faith in Christ they have eternal life. And then you've got to take classes, you've got to come to church, you've got to study, you've got to put it together so you can know the Bible, so you can train other people. Because who does the training? You do. We all do. Me, but I help train y'all, and then y'all train other people. That's what it's supposed to be. The second thing is let's have an, let's have an understanding of 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and Romans. I think as this morning you just heard a bunch of stuff, and you, you, know, you can't write everything down and can't know all that, but you can study it and have a big idea of what these books were about. And then third, let's be faithful to teach the Bible, because that's what Paul did. When Paul went to Troas, he talked so long, guy passed out and fell out the window. But uh, I promise we won't ever go that low. But although we do have a bed in the lobby out there, if you would like to go lay down at any time, it's out there.